Okay, anyways, welcome back um, to Large Group. It's good to see all of you again. I felt like I just saw you, which I probably just did see most of you over the weekend. Um, so, but anyways, I had a great time on Fall Conference with everybody. I hope it was a, a good restful time for those of you who were able to go. And um, yeah, a good mix of fun and content and all of those things. And uh, how many of you are starting to feel like the grind of the semester is starting to kick in where you're just like, oh boy. Yeah, that grind is real, isn't it? Where you're, you're starting to look down, and you're starting to hurt a little bit. And you're like, I don't know if I've got enough momentum for where we are in the semester. Um, and it's time like this, like where the grind starts to get kind of real, where um, I think coming to community, coming to the Word of God, asking questions about how do we, you know, once again, how do we maintain joy in the midst of when things are starting to feel a little tight, feel a little pressured. So, um, yeah, welcome back, um, and um, I hope that you can join in with us tonight as we look at God's Word and see, once again, like, where is another angle of um, sort of like a buoyant joy in our life, another angle of this life-proof joy. So um, we're going to continue our study tonight, and we'll dive right in, since I'm, I know a lot of you are, um, yeah, you all have been with us. So um, look with me in your text, and I, there's a misprint on the text. It's also upside down. I did these in a hurry. Um, we're actually looking at chapter 2, so if you're not looking along in your, um, if you're looking along in an actual Bible, you'll look at chapter 2, verses 12 to 18, not chapter 1. But if you have the handout, you can just look on the handout, because that is right. So um, this is our text for tonight, and then, uh, so let me read it, and we'll, we'll dig in. So um, this is God's Word. Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine, As lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let me pray first quickly. Father, thanks for your word. Thanks for this text tonight. And as much is happening in this text, oh my goodness, there's so much happening. We pray that your spirit would cut through um, all these words and actually move into our hearts through them. uh, And that we would be changed. That your spirit would work in me and through me and despite me in all the ways that you, you can and will do. And that you would use this tonight to encourage and minister to your people gathered. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So I'm going to dive right in because this is an insanely intense text that we're looking at tonight. Um, And it's, I wrestled with this text this week, y'all. I mean, I just fought it like a crocodile. It was intense. So um, crocodiles fight, you know. So uh, I'm going to dive right in and uh, we'll start trying to figure out what in the world is happening in here. Um, So the first thing you should notice as we're digging into this text, if you look at verse 12, it says, therefore... Therefore, now, anytime you're reading the Bible, here's a little insider tip. Some of you may know this, some of you don't. Whenever you see the word therefore, you should stop and ask, what is the therefore? Therefore. So, 
we need to, to do that, you need to go up a section. You know, you go up from where you were, what you're reading, and, and look again at, well, what, what, what's he talking about therefore for? So we pause, and we need to look back at what, what had happened. And if, so if you have your Bible, look ahead. If you don't, don't worry, we can just listen. So if you remember from last week, we had talked about humility, and we had specifically talked about Christ's humility, Christ being God himself who lowered himself in the, I mean, in the most humble way he could possibly have lowered himself, even to the point of death. And then because of his humility, God exalts him. And it says God exalts him to the name that is above, and gives him a name that is above every name, so that at the end of time, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is God, that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And then he jumps in and says, Therefore, my beloved, therefore, my beloved, so what is he talking about here? Why is he saying therefore? Well, he's saying therefore because, because he's like in light of, because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, because Jesus is God and will be exalted, he will be Lord and every person, including every person in this room, if this is what it is saying, will acknowledge him as Lord, will bend the knee and will, be, will, will proclaim his lordship if that's true then we should be obedient to him. We should be, even now, submitting to his lordship. We should be bowing and confessing him as Lord even now. And that's what he says, Therefore, because Christ is God, as you have obeyed, not, so now, not only in my absence, so don't, not just because you obeyed when I was there, but now, not just in my, when I was present, but now much more in my absence. Now he says, Therefore, in effect, work out your salvation. Work out your salvation. If all things are driving towards Christ's lordship over all things, and everyone's submitting to his lordship, he says, therefore, work out your salvation. Now, work out your salvation. Oh, man, that is a, that is a doozy, isn't it? What in the world does that mean? What in the world does it mean to say, work out your salvation? Well, I can tell you one thing it does not mean. It does not mean that you and I are saved by what we do. It does not mean that you and I are saved by our works, that we have to earn our salvation. And if there's anything you ever hear in RUF, it's this. We are not saved by what we do. Praise God. We are saved by our faith in Christ. He's so, so clear. The, all of Scripture is so clear that, that what makes us acceptable before God is not our own efforts, but only faith in Jesus Christ. And if you were with us on this fall conference, you heard over and over again what justifies us, what makes us acceptable, what makes us okay in God's eyes depends entirely upon Jesus and trusting in Him and completely not on our effort to earn it. So work out your salvation. That absolutely does not mean that you earn your acceptance before God. That is only through faith. Only through faith. So then, basically then, what does work out your salvation mean? Well, if we're justified by faith, work out your salvation means, basically, apply that justification by faith to every part of your life. Apply your justification that is by faith to every piece of your whole life. So think of it this way. How many of you like chocolate chip cookies? Like what we had. If you don't, you're lying. Or if you didn't raise your hand, you're lying. Because I know you like them. So 
first, if you make chocolate chip cookies, what do you have to do? You first make the dough, right? You like whip butter and flour and sugar together. And then if you just start, like, if, like my wife has this big, has the big KitchenAid mixer. If you just dump the, the chocolate chips in and then turn it on, like it'll just crush the chocolate and it'll just be like weird. What do you have to do? You have to like take it out and fold the chocolate chips in with like a spatula, right? You got to work them in slowly. Otherwise, you'll just ruin the cookies. Well, that's what, sort of what it means when we work our, our salvation. It means that gradually, evenly, slowly, you're massaging in, you're working your, the chocolate chips into the cookie. Now, with that, that means that you're working, you're working your salvation into every facet, every part of your whole life. It's distributing your justification into every part so that even as at the end of time, everything will profess Christ's lordship. Every part of your life professes Christ's lordship. So in a sense then, that's what, another word for that would be like total obedience. Like every part of who we are being obedient to Christ. And that's what he says in verse 12, right? He says, as you have always obeyed, now he says, so now, not only in my presence, but now much more, work out your salvation. So there's this correlation between obedience and working out your salvation. Just as you've obeyed, keep obeying. And by obeying, make every part of your life submit to Christ's Lordship. Well, what does that mean? It means that you and I must apply ourselves to the daily task. To the daily task, every minute of every day, massaging our faith in Christ into every part of our lives. It means that you're bringing every aspect of your life under Jesus' touch, under his lordship. It means that every piece of your life, from your money decisions, to your sexuality, to your study habits, to your school, to your work, to your recreation, to your entertainment, every part of that is brought, is, we're all in this process of bringing that under Christ's <laughs> lordship. And there's no part of your life where you say, not this part. This part, Jesus can have everything, but this part's mine still. No, every part of who we are is brought into submission to who Christ is because Paul says this is what's going to happen at the end of time. All of our, the whole world will ultimately submit to his lordship. Everything. So obedience then is, it's a part, it's, it's a part of every part of our lives. It's not just one part of our life. It's that obedience to Christ is in, it's in everything. It's not like we just spiritualize it and say like, well, I'm doing the right thing spiritually. No, it's like we're obedient in our school. We're obedient in our social life. We're obedient in our sexual life. We're obedient in our study. I mean, everything, everything is brought into Christ's lordship. Every single part of your life is, is part of Christian obedience. So what, what's the result of that? What's, this, what's the result, if, if we begin to do that, of this worked out salvation into all of our life, if we, what do we start to see? Well, we start to see a more moral and a more obedient and a more holy self and a more holy community. And um, what's the goal of that? What's the goal? What's the goal of becoming more holy, more pure? Is it just, is it just so that you're better than your non-Christian friends? Or maybe even better than your Christian friends? Or you're just like, well, they're here and I'm here because I've done a little bit more work. What's the goal of it? Well, it's certainly not to make ourselves better. 
the goal of our working out of our salvation, of our, of our obedience, the goal, he says, is missions. The goal is almost, it's evangelism, which is, I'm sure some of you are like, whoa, wait, what? Missions? Obedience is correlated to missions, to evangelism? How do those two relate together? What in the world do they have to go there? Well, put your thinking cap on, strap in, because this is going to be intense. But I want to show you the link here. Look at verse 14. Do all things without grumbling and disputing, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now, this is, this is some heavy lifting here, okay? This is why I was wrestling so hard with this. So hang with me, and I'll try to make sense of this, but hang with me. So this, this gets intense. So what's happening in here is actually in these two verses, there are a ton of allusions and even quotations of the Old, of the Old Testament. So we have the New Testament, which is what we're reading right here, which is letters that were written, you know, like 2,000 years ago. The Old Testament is sort of the stories of the people of Israel as they were developing and growing into the people of Israel. That's the Old Testament, and it's the bedrock, the foundation upon which the New Testament is built up. And so the New Testament was completely reliant on the Old Testament. And so here, Paul, who's steeped in the culture of the Old Testament is drawing on that body of knowledge here. And he's making, he's doing it in three ways. First of all, he says here, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, when, when, if you know the Old Testament, when's a time where you can think of grumbling or disputing? Well, he's referring here to Israel, the nation of Israel, grumbling in the desert. Some of you remember the story, maybe, that Israel had been freed from slavery under Egypt, and they're brought out of Egypt, and they're on their way, as God promised them, to the promised land. And what are they doing the whole way? They're grumbling. They're complaining. They're arguing with each other, arguing with their leadership, and they're like, God, what are you doing? They're grumbling against God. They disobey God, and so they failed to work out their salvation in the desert. They failed, in that sense, to apply what they had just experienced, that is, salvation from slavery, into every aspect of their life. And as a result, God punishes them and they wander in the desert for 40 years. That brings us to the second quotation that Paul gives us here. He says, a crooked and twisted generation. Now this is actually a direct quotation of Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32. And there it describes Israel. It describes Israel because of their failure and it says they are a crooked and twisted generation. A crooked and twisted generation that because of their failure to trust God, they become a crooked generation that God rejects. And that brings us to the third quotation. Hang in there. I'm going to make sense of this, so hang in there. The third quotation, it says here, among whom you shine as lights in the world. And this is a quotation, almost, I mean, word for word, of Daniel 12. Daniel 12, Daniel is a prophet in the Old Testament who is under the Babylonian captivity and he foresees in this prophetic vision, the end of time in which the, the nation of Israel, through their righteousness, becomes a light to the nations. Through their righteousness becomes a light to the nations. So what's happening here? Why are these quotations just piled on top of each other from the Old Testament? This is amazing. Paul is saying here, he's saying, you Philippian church, you are called to succeed where Israel failed. 
Israel was rescued from slavery with the express purpose of pointing non-believers to God through their obedience. But instead, they became just like the world. They became crooked and twisted. But you, church, you, Philippian church, you are called to succeed where Israel failed. Through your obedience, by your working out of your salvation, you become the evangelistic people that Israel failed to be. Do you see what he's doing there? He's saying Israel failed in this way, but you are going to be the one that actually succeeds. You, church, are God's, his his renewing and successful evangelization of the world. Paul is saying here that when we work out our salvation, when we obey God, when we love each other and love our neighbor, we become what, what I'll call a missional people. We're doing missions through our obedience. And, and that becomes attractive to the watching world. That becomes a missional movement to the world. That means, do you see here, that, do you see the link? Do you see the link between your obedience and evangelism? Obedience is not an end in itself. It's not that God just calls you to obey his laws arbitrarily and says, um, here's this law, just do it for no purpose. And here's this law, I just do it because I say so. No, God says, here is my law. Here is, here, I'm calling you to obedience for the purpose of showing the nations what love and community and what joy actually are. God does not call you to sexual purity or to generosity or to appropriate use with alcohol or to honesty on texts or tests or any God doesn't call you to moral behavior just just because because he he wants to he calls you to obedience so that you can be a mission evangelistic person to the world it's through your Christian morality through applying Christ's lordship into every area of your life that working up your salvation that we do evangelism. And in fact, Jesus says something really similar. If you remember in Matthew, in Matthew 5, what does he say? He says, let your light shine before men. There's that light word again. Let your light shine before men so that they see your good deeds, that is your obedience, and glorify God. Glorify God who's in heaven. Obedience is missional. Obedience is evangelistic. A worked out salvation is witnessing, is testifying. And so what this means, friends, is this means that evangelism is so much more than just like sharing your testimony or trying to have a sit down with and like trying to convert someone. It means that evangelism is so much more than just spoken evangelism. It means that you do missions by obeying God. That by your working, you're massaging, you're teasing your faith into every part of your life, you're sharing your faith with a watching world. Now, evangelism, it's not less than like sharing your faith in maybe the more traditional sense. But, it's, but you and I, are, and we're commanded to do that, but that is so much more, that sexual purity and not lying and compassion for the poor, loving each other, generosity with our money, all these things that God calls us to, these are evangelism. And here's the amazing thing. Through your obedience, through your obedience, you are actually joining a bigger story that God has been working across history for all his people. You're joining in this story that has been, God has started with Israel. 
When God says to Israel, I'm saving you for a bigger purpose. I want to make you a banner people. By your obedience, through your holiness, I'm going to show a broken world what community looks like. I'm going to show a depressed world what joy looks like together. That's why that's, that, that's been God's purpose all along for His people. He doesn't just save a people and now say, like, go be different by yourself. He says, no, go be involved in the world and so that through your being holy in them, you actually bring them to me. And he's saying, Paul is saying this is incredible. He says, we, even right now in this room, are a part of that story. Through our obedience, we become a banner people to a crooked and twisted generation, which is out there, right? When when New Mexico State sees your obedience, they should wonder, who are these Christians? What makes them different? Why don't they sleep together? Why Why don't they get drunk? Why do, they, why do they confess and repent when they hurt each other? Why do they love each other? You guys don't need me to tell you that our campus is a place that really could be a crooked and twisted generation. Like, There's a lot of stuff that happens on our campus that's hard and sad. You only have to sit in the student section of a football game to see that, right? Or go, live in Pinon for any of the housing for a year to know that there's all kinds of stuff that goes on in here that is just hard, sad, broken stuff. And we get to be the lights to that, right? We get to be the kind of people who through our obedience get to point other people to what's truly flourishing and living and joyful. Notice what it does not say. It does not say remove yourself from the world. Get as far away from them as you can. Just get in your little holy huddle so they don't poison you and and get you, you know, get you dirty. But it also does not say your ethical life doesn't matter. It doesn't say do whatever you want, just go with the flow, whatever the campus, whatever the world is doing, you just do that. It rides right down the middle. It rides right down the middle. It says be involved in the world. Go to the football games. Hang out with non-Christians at a climbing wall or in study groups or at class or at lunch. But it also says don't assimilate with them. Don't lose your Christian identity. Don't lose what makes you distinctive. And that means that we're called to sexual purity. We're called to abstain from substance abuse, to academic honesty. That every part of that, that, that your holiness, that your holiness into, and massaging that into every piece of your life, you become a light. You become hopeful. You become a part of community, a community that actually points people to Jesus. Now, what does this have to do with joy? Again, our theme is joy. What does this have to do with joy? Well, again, that has to do with God's bigger story that's happening here. God is in the process of redeeming all things for himself. And he has made us the banner people in that mission. And that one of the major tenets of Christianity in the background of like every piece of scripture is that history is not looping. History is not repeating itself. History is going a place. It's going a place. Where is it going? It's going to Christ's lordship. It's going to the time in the day of Christ where Christ is acknowledged as Lord over all things. But, and, he, and in that process, he's conquering sin. He's pushing back the effects of sin. So it, it starts with God creating the world and then us breaking the world. And now God in the process of redeeming everything back to himself. And that will happen. Jesus will return. He will fix the world. He will remove every piece of sin and brokenness and perversion and wickedness. 
And this is deeply connected to our obedience. And it means that if this is true, it means that you and I can't be defeated. If this is where history is going and we're with Christ, it means that we're on the winning side. And that's what Paul means here. He says in verse 17, he says, even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Now that idea of being poured out, that's like a figure of speech for even if I die, even if I die for your faith, I rejoice with you all because God's mission of bringing peace and flourishing and hope will be accomplished in the day of Christ Jesus, as he says, when Christ is finally exalted. And that means that we can't be defeated. We are called to obedience. We are called to work out our salvation. But it means that we can't be defeated. And in that we can rejoice. And that's what he says here. I am glad and rejoice with you all, even if I die. This means that as a Christian, you're on the winning side of a fixed fight. Imagine you're at a a giant boxing match and it's a fixed fight. And you know who's going to win. And you've put all your money into the side that's going to win. And you can't lose. Man, it's, going to be, it's just going to be great. You're just going to enjoy it. I can't lose. That's what's happening in our, faith, in our world right now. This is, Christ will be exalted. Christ will be Lord. And so now all of us have the honor and the privilege of obeying Him now and pointing others to that through our obedience. That should bring us joy. We can't lose. We're on the winning team. We're on the team that can't possibly be defeated because Christ is Lord. So what does this passage show us tonight? It shows us so much, but at first it shows us that our faith should directly apply into all of our lives. And that should be in the form of obedience. That each of you is commanded to work out your salvation and apply it to every inch of your life. And that when we obey, as we do that, we become God's banner people. We become a part of His cosmic rescue mission to redeem the world. And that our obedience is linked to evangelism. That God is on a mission to redeem the world and that we join Him in that through our obedience. And lastly, it means that that mission can't be defeated. God will win. Jesus will be victorious and we'll be victorious with Him. And that should give us great joy. That should give us, I mean, just unspeakable joy that we can't win. No matter what we face, no matter what little defeats we have right now, we are on the winning team. So remember that this week as you go into your week and you're just fighting it out in the grind. You're on the winning team. You're on the winning team through faith in Christ. And if that's true, work your salvation out into every piece of your life. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, uh, thanks for this text. Thanks for what it shows us, that you are at work in our world and that you call us to work in our world, to work, our, work out our salvation with fear and trembling into every piece of who we are. And that, that means that, Father, that means that we're on the winning team. Um, Father, may it give us confidence to be bold, to be lights before our friends, to tell them about what you are doing and that they may see it and come to know you as well. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.